I don't think I've seen uh, another case quite like this uh, ever done. And uh, as you take a look at this mouth, you can see a patient who initially sought treatment for me for porcelain veneers. And uh, definitely when you look at some of the wear patterns and what's going on with tooth number 10, you can see that he is, in fact, a good candidate for porcelain veneers. But um, Greg was nice enough to let me try something that we had never tried on a patient before and haven't tried since. And that is he allowed us to put some no-prep veneers on his teeth. And I'll let you see how those look. Then we removed them with my water lays. We were able to pop those no-prep veneers off the teeth. We were able to remove the cement with some rubber wheels and get the teeth back to their original state. So we had the teeth back to their virgin state before the no-prep veneers went on. And then we prepped him for minimal prep veneers using recommendations from my ceramist where he would like two structure removed. And then we placed minimal prep veneers onto his teeth. So this is the first time I've ever seen a no-prep veneer case and a minimal prep veneer case done on the same patient. This is really going to give you the opportunity to see the difference between these two treatment modalities because they're being done on the same patient. If you just compare a no prep patient to a minimal prep patient when it's two different patients, uh, it's really not significant. So let's go ahead and take a look as we place the no prep veneers. Since these were no prep veneers, literally all we did was take a vinyl polysiloxane uh, impression of the teeth, sent it to the laboratory. You can use um, some sort of retraction if you would like. Certainly cord packing is not necessary. You can use something like magic foam cord if you'd like or Exposil from Kerr, uh, something that's going to retract the tissue just a little bit so uh, they can get a clean look at the gingival margin of the teeth. Since they are no prep veneers, we are not actually going to prep a margin, so we don't want to put these veneers too far subgingival, just at the gingival margin or maybe just a little bit, tiny bit subgingival so that you can't see where the tooth and the uh, porcelain come together. But more times than not, uh, we want to keep it right at the gingival level. And so we're trying in these veneers with the uh, Nexus third generation, the NX3 clear cement. And this is the uh, shade of cement that we like to use most often. So we do our try-ins with this translucent shade of cement as well. We then hand the patient a mirror and let them take a look at it after cleaning up a little bit around the edges. And the patient approved of the no prep veneer. So we're gonna go ahead and loot these into place now. The first step is to clean up the teeth. So as my assistant is uh, rinsing the try-in paste, which is water-soluble out of the veneers, I'm using some pumice just to clean all the salivary pellicle and any of the try-in cement off of the teeth and make sure we have a nice bonding surface. This pumice is Preppies from Whitmix and uh, it comes pre-packaged and is very simple. Uh, pumice to use. You want to make sure even after you rinse and dry the pumice off that there is usually a little bit extra left. We're using some cotton rolls just to get that off here. Once we verified all the pumice has been removed, we're going to go ahead and begin the acid etching procedure. Again, since these are no preps, the entire uh, facial surface and incisal surface. This is all enamel. We're going to cover it all, leave it in place for about 15 seconds. Since there is no dent and we have no concerns about contamination or post-operative sensitivity for that matter. In fact, these are going to be some of the best bonded veneers that we have ever placed because they are no prep veneers. Once uh, we have etched and dried and you'll see the frosty look on the enamel like you're used to seeing, we will go ahead and place our bonding agent. No need for a dentin bonding agent because of the fact that there is no dentin exposed here. So we place our regular bonding agent here, and, which is an unfilled resin essentially, and we air thin it to a very a thin layer. And then we're going to go ahead and cure this. And then with the translucent uh, 
veneer cement in the veneer. We're going to go ahead and set this down onto the tooth structure itself. Uh, you don't necessarily have to cure that unfilled resin, the bonding agent that you saw us put on there. We're more worried about that with dentin. It's just kind of habit here that we do that, but I don't doubt we'd be able to cure all the way through that veneer because it is pretty darn thin, these no-prep veneers, and then cure the adhesive onto the tooth as well. That's kind of left over from when we would prep into dentin. We wanted to make sure we got that hybrid layer formation before we put the veneer into place. Those veneers were much thicker. I always put the central incisors first. Sometimes there's contact issues when you're trying things and you need to make sure those centrals are perfect. So we put eight and nine in first, make sure they're seated all the way, do a little tack and wave, as you saw right there with the light where we wave it back and forth over the gingival margin for just about two seconds. Check it with the Explorer. Make sure the cement is in its gel state, and then you can go ahead and start cleaning that out. So we'll clean around the gingival margin. That's really the important part in the first place to clean. We don't want to have to use a diamond or a carbide finishing burr around that gingival margin. Um, it's not so much that we don't want to hurt the gingiva. It's more about uh, hurting the porcelain and being, you know, going into an area and scratching the porcelain in an area where it's inaccessible for us to be able to polish it. Once we've got a pretty good set on here, we can run dental floss through to see if it'll get through or not. If it won't, these serrated strips from Axis Dental, they're safe-sided so you won't open a contact, but they're serrated on the end. And uh, I haven't bonded a contact closed yet that I cannot open with one of these uh, serrated strips. The difficult part here is to put just enough pressure to bust out the extra resin cement uh, without flying into the papilla and causing any damage there. If we didn't have to worry about the papilla, it would be very simple. Once we've removed the excess cement around the gingival margin and from the interproximal uh, contact, we can go ahead and perform the rest of the cure as we're performing here on the facial surface and then on the lingual in case we've wrapped the incised ledge just to make sure that uh, that it is in fact cured all the way through. But as you can see, the veneer transmitting uh, the light from the curing light, it acts kind of like a fiber optic bundle and we know we've gotten most of it. I've got a, a scalpel blade here, uh, it's a 12 blade as we're going around the gingival margin. And this is a nice way to be able to remove little chunks that you may not be able to get with an explorer, but we still want to resist the use of a burr in this area, whether it's a carbide or a diamond, because I really don't want to scratch the porcelain, as I mentioned previously. And as you'll see later, I have another way of getting the excess uh, cement material off the direct facial aspect of the veneers. That scalpel is really just for the gingival margin to make sure it's clean. Once we put the central incisors on, I will put the lateral and cuspid and sometimes even the first bicuspid on uh, one of the sides while my assistant prepares for uh, us to do that on the other side. So eight, nine always go on first and then I'll do the next probably two team, the lateral and the cuspid. And then we'll move on to do the two bicuspids after that. And again, the same thing, tack and wave at the gingival margin to make sure uh, that uh, we've got that cured and then clean it up with a serrated strip interproximally. You can see I'm using a burr here, but you can see the burr's not spinning. So when I use that burr at the gingival margin, I don't have it spinning. I just use it as a real stiff version of a an explorer, basically, and it'll break off excess cement. These are in areas where the scalpel wouldn't fit because of its curved nature or I'm just afraid of using it. This is a 7408 football finishing burr being used on the occlusal surface to blend uh, where the veneer stops and where the tooth starts to make sure we have a nice smooth junction there. Typically you'll have a nice bead of cement that got cured there and that's fine. I do not mind going in there and smoothing down that junction between the two because it's so easy to polish. This is a brown wheel 
This brownie wheel is from the old cast gold technique. That's probably where most of you saw this first. It's where I saw it first in dental school. And I run it uh, to about 13,000 RPMs, uh, no more than that, certainly, on my electric handpiece. And by using on the facial, the ceramic, it'll remove all the excess cement, uh, but it will not damage the porcelain at all. So I prefer to use rubber polishing cups whenever I can to clean these up because I won't cause any damage or scratch the glaze on the porcelain restorations themselves. Here's an occlusal view of the uh, no prep veneers in place. No prep veneers are always going to look just a little bit bulky, maybe a little bit bulbous because we haven't removed any tooth structure. But on the other hand, we didn't remove any tooth structure or use any anesthetic. So for a lot of patients, they think this is a fantastic result and this is what they want. For them, the main criteria is no drilling, no shots, no removal of tooth structure. Not that the veneers not be... Uh, you know, slightly bulbous. For patients who are insisting on perfection on the shape of their veneers, we need to go a minimal prep or a full prep veneer. So we're adjusting the bite here again with the 7408 with some articulating paper. And here is the final look at the no prep veneers. For a one appointment procedure, uh, we take, you know, obviously we take the impression first and then we just try these in and cement them in the same day. That's a big change. That's a big instant change for the patient. As you can see here, here's a still shot that we took uh, of Greg afterwards, and you can see how the teeth are all lined up. Are they slightly bulbous in some areas? Yeah, they are, but the technician worked very hard to create a flat facial profile for us, as you can see on tooth number nine here, as we look from the patient's right-hand side at his smile. And there's the before smile there in the lower left, of course, and then the after in the picture. And you can see we, we solved a lot of his aesthetic issues in one appointment relatively quickly. And we did it without a drill, and we did it without anesthetic. And for a lot of patients, that is a huge deal to be able to do that like that. Even if the veneers don't look as perfect as it would if we went and did a full preparation uh, onto the lingual and took a millimeter and a half off the facial surface and that kind of thing, or a millimeter, however much you routinely take off. So with these no prep cases, I explain the advantages and disadvantages to the patients of the different kinds of veneers we have and let them make the decision. Well, we let Greg wear those uh, no-prep veneers for a couple of months. We let uh, him enjoy them. Here's a closer look at them intraorally after uh, a couple of months. And he knew that at some point we wanted to get him back and take these uh, veneers off. And um, so I, here he is on that day. We're going to go ahead and remove uh, the veneers now. This is my water lays laser from uh, BioLays. And I've got it set to 6 watts, and you can see as I move around, it's popping the veneers off in large chunks. If I had to guess, based on where these break and what's left on the tooth, it appears that it breaks the veneer off at the level of the silane coupler. The silane, of course, is the liquid that we put inside the veneer that helps hold the porcelain to the composite, helps achieve that bond, and that seems to be where it fails. The porcelain comes off, and what we're left with is what appears to be the veneer cement, on the tooth itself. As we dry those off, you can see that we've got some uh, marks from the pulsing of the water lays, and those little divots are in the composite cement that remains on the facial aspect of the tooth. Again, with a burr and a handpiece, so there's really no way to take those uh, veneers off without doing some damage to the enamel underneath. Here we're using uh, a silicone cup to be able to go in and remove some of this cement. You know, I, I'm just kind of playing around. This is really the first time I've taken. Uh, veneer off this way um, with the laser and then try to return the tooth to its original state. So we're trying the silicone wheel here and then for some areas where it's inaccessible 
This is a 30-blade carbide burr. We're going around the facial surface again to remove the cement that remains there. From the roughness, I can, I can tell that we have a lot of veneer cement that's still adhering to the front of that tooth, which is why I think that it pops off at the level of the silane because there's no uh, resin cement on the inside of the veneer when it comes off. Again, using the laser here at 6 watts, you can see it coming off in big chunks right there as it, uh, as it pops off and goes through the veneer. And uh, We used profound topical anesthetic, which as many of you have told me about and I've noticed too, you can get some very uh, deep anesthesia, mild pulpal anesthesia with it as well. And now we're using, again, the brownie cup uh, from Shofu, like in the cast gold technique, using that on the facial of the tooth to remove the excess composite that's on there and get back down to the enamel again. Using the side of it for broad contact between the two. I'm actually going to leave just a little cement in the incisal edge of number eight. That's one of the ones that was really jagged and actually looks a little better uh, when we leave it that way. So you can see those front two teeth now have had the no prep veneers removed and are back to their original condition. And now we're popping the, uh, the no prep veneer off uh, tooth number 10. And you can see this is really a nice way to do it. Would I advocate buying a water lace simply for veneer removal? No. I, I, I hope you don't have to uh, remove this many veneers. We did this intentionally. Um, you know, if you talk about everything with the patient ahead of time, you shouldn't be removing this many uh, veneers. I, of course, love the water lace for the many operative dentistry uses that we have. The crown lengthening is one of the big things in the posterior and the anterior to be able to do on-the-fly crown lengthening while the patient's numb at the same appointment as the crown prep when we realize that either the margin of the old crown or the amalgam was just far too subgingival. There we go. The rest of the veneer has popped off that tooth, and what's left is what you see there, just a little cement that's kind of hanging there. So before we polish that, we'll go ahead and remove the veneer on the cusp of two. You can almost see those veneers just kind of shatter as they come off. These veneers are thinner. You know, most of the no prep veneers we do are between uh, 0.3 and 0.5 millimeters thick. Other veneers tend to be thicker. Typically prepped veneers in a dentin will be a millimeter thick. On some of those, if you're trying to use the laser and you can't get the veneer off, simply take an old diamond in your high-speed handpiece and thin out, you know, start to prep the porcelain of the veneer till it gets a little thinner. And once you've done that and it gets thinner, then you'll be able to pop it off with the laser without any worries about damaging uh, the facial enamel with a burr itself. Here we are using uh, a fine um, grit diamond to remove some of the cement from the facial aspect and the incisal aspect of those teeth as well before we go in and use our rubber wheel to, uh, to polish it. And we've taken the veneers off all those teeth now and looking at it, we are pretty much back to where we started with Greg in the very beginning. And we're going to take an impression now and send it to the laboratory technician and ask them, you know, where are the facial limiting factors, the portions of the tooth sticking out to the facial where you would like us to do some reduction so that we can uh, remove those and get a better result when it's all said and done. The laboratory technician has been nice enough to include a prep guide uh, for us where they made their adjustments to the tooth structure before they did the diagnostic wax up. And typically in areas where the color is a little heavier, like on tooth number 10, that means they did more reduction. So typically where the coloring is heavier is where they did a little more reduction. And as you saw before on the pre-op, tooth number 10 was the one that was most prominently out to the facial. So we would expect that to have uh, the most preparation done on it. If you look at tooth number 11, interestingly, 
They basically came in and removed from the height of contour down to the incisal edge and didn't touch anything along the marginal aspect. And because uh, this is me a combination uh, prep and no prep uh, veneer case in some areas, we don't have to go in and touch this if they didn't touch it here. We could go in and put a very light margin on if our laboratory technician preferred that, but they're just showing us where they had to relieve it in order to come up with the diagnostic wax up. On teeth number eight and nine, we do see a full facial reduction here, but we see it's much heavier in the incisal third, working your way up to the middle third as well. So when we get in there, we're going to make sure we tip the head of the handpiece back towards the lingual so that this incisal edge does, in fact, get reduced towards the lingual so we make sure we don't have any buck teeth here. As we turn it over to tooth number seven, you can see, again, the heavier reduction has been done in the incisal third. And not too much along the distal here. You can see they stop short of, uh, of the distal of that tooth and reduce a little bit more on the mesial. And again, on tooth number six, they have reduced it from the incisal third up to around the junction of the cervical third and the middle third. So again, if you prefer, you could, in fact, prepare this all the way to the gingival margin and uh, do that type of reduction. But uh, they've showed us that they only had to reduce here in order to come up with the diagnostic wax-up that they did. And here's a closer look at the diagnostic wax-up. You can see they've waxed up from second bicuspid to second bicuspid for us. On this case, though, on the prep model, there was no preparation that was done on any of the bicuspids, all four of them. So those can be treated as no prep veneers, or you can do slight preparation at the margin if you want to, or remove some on the buccal cusp tip for strength if you'd like to. But to achieve this, to achieve this wax up, it was not necessary to do that. Again, we had the reduction in this area and then we had it in the incisal and middle thirds on uh, 7, 8, 9, and 10, actually all the way to the gingival margin on those four anterior teeth. And then on, over, on number 11, we reduced in the incisal third and the middle third, and then stopped before we got to the gingival margin. So this is what we would consider to be a minimal prep case because of the fact that uh, all of the tooth structure we are left with is going to be in enamel. This was all left in enamel as well. And uh, we, if you take a matrix, of the diagnostic wax up a putty matrix and then put it on this tooth. You can see how thin uh, the resultant preparation that was done on these teeth were. In fact, as I look at this tooth, tooth number 10 is still a little bit out to uh, the facial. So uh, there's been minimal preparation done. I expect all of this tooth structure to still be enamel when we're finished. And our temporaries will uh, probably go from tooth number 6 to tooth number 11 just so we cover up those areas for two reasons. Number one, for aesthetic purposes, so the patient doesn't walk around with prep teeth without any temporaries. And the second reason would be for to transfer the information from the diagnostic wax up into the patient's mouth. This diagnostic wax up is a valuable tool when we look at it, but it really becomes valuable when we transfer this information to the patient's mouth and have an opportunity to see and let the patient have the opportunity to see what this proposed treatment looks like in the patient's mouth, and I've already talked to his wife, and she's very interested to see what it looks like as well. So we are going to do temporaries from 6 to 11 to cover up the enamel where it's been prepared. We won't put any on the bicuspids because they are going to be uh, no prep veneers. But the important part of this minimal prep case is the fact that we reduce where the lab is indicated on these four anterior teeth and to a lesser degree on the cuspids. So here we are at the minimal prep preparation appointment. And again, I'm looking at the study model to see where uh, the technician has removed two structure, and I'm going to approximate that as best I can. Um, you can make a putty matrix of the pre-op model and then cut that in half across the facial surface 
and put it over the prep model to see exactly how much has been removed. But uh, I find it's pretty easy to uh, to eyeball. It's not real difficult. And again, in this case, I want to stay in enamel. So if I'm getting where uh, I think that I'm close to where they are and I'm still in enamel and I get the feeling I don't have much enamel left, I'm probably going to stop. This is a patient who is not um, totally obsessed with uh, aesthetics in a case like this and does want something a little more minimal. And uh, this one tooth, tooth number nine, uh, we want to go ahead and make this look pretty nice. This is the one that's kind of the full-size tooth out of all these teeth. So we are going to do our reduction. And this is uh, a millimeter at, at we're taking off here, off of the incisal edge. And we've placed those depth cuts, and now we're going to connect those together. And uh, that's going to kind of give us an idea of where our central incisors should be reduced to. And the tooth number eight, of course, is right there, so that's not going to need any reduction. So most of the reduction on that tooth was on the incisal edge, and we removed uh, on the facial surface where indicated on the model to us by the ceramist. Taking a closer look at this now, and looking again, just checking these areas on the cuspid, reminding myself we don't have to really do anything in the cervical third. And anywhere where we're going to increase um, a little bit of length here, I'm going to take off just a little bit of two structure here. I do want on these minimal prep ones to get a little incisal edge translucency on these veneers if we can. We don't expect that on the no prep veneers uh, of course because we've got some pretty solid tooth structure behind the veneers and because they're so thin. Really when you're making a veneer that's 0.3 millimeters thick the only way to get uh, incisal edge translucency on there is with some staining with some blue stain to give the effect of some uh, translucency. When we remove some tooth structure like this, they, we can actually layer, build those effects right into the veneer without having to achieve that just with stain. But on the no prep veneers, we simply don't have enough room to build that translucency into the veneer, so it needs to be done with stain here. So we're all, as long as we stain enamel again, we, we consider these minimal prep veneers. I've heard some people say if they do it with a disc uh, and not a burr, then it's a minimal prep veneer. For me, minimal prep, what does it mean? It means removing only where the ceramist has requested we remove it and making every effort possible to uh, stay in enamel so that we have the highest bond strengths of these veneers and we virtually eliminate our possibilities of post-operative sensitivity. In preparation for making our putty wash matrix, we're going to go ahead and just define the gingival margins. I've got a sharp knife or a sickle scaler or work, and an explorer's not strong enough, but we're going to go around and really define the gingival margin here. This is going to be the thing that makes this temporary technique such an easy thing to use. You don't want your diagnostic wax up sloppy at the gingival margin. We want detail. We want a nice, crisp, clean sulcus for the putty wash to go into when we build the matrix, and then the temporaries are going to be simple. So we'll go ahead and finish this up, and now we'll go ahead and do our putty wash matrix. Now, since we've done minimal prep veneers, we're going to have to go ahead and temporize those teeth so they're not sensitive. You could probably get away without doing it since it's still in enamel, but we've got such an easy technique now, there's probably no reason not to. So I'm mixing the putty and wash here from Glidewell Direct's capture system. This is just a standard impression putty that I'm mixing up, rolling back and forth. Trying to get rid of all the yellow and uh, gray streaks, get a nice homogeneous mix here. I'm going to roll it up into a hot dog shape and then press it down over the diagnostic wax-up model. And we push it down into the place over the incisal edge, really making sure that we capture uh, everything on the facial. That, of course, is the important part here, is that we get the facial and the incisal edge. And we are going to realign this with a thinner impression material, so it's not crucial 
that were perfect right here. Basically, this is going to be a custom tray, if you will, for the light body material we put on next. We don't need a ton of this material, so I'm just peeling some off the back and kind of reshaping that. I do. This is going to have to go into the mouth. I don't want it to gag the patient or be so bulky that it uh, cuts into the side of their mouth. So we're just removing some excess and trying to just hand thin it as much as we can. Um, you know, we've prepped some of the anterior teeth and none of the bicuspids and molars. So as long as this stent fits on or this matrix fits onto the bicuspids and the molars, it'll have a nice positive seat in the mouth so that when I put it in, I know for sure that it is seated all the way. This is going to take about, uh, usually would take in the mouth three minutes to set about six minutes out of the mouth. Since I have prepared margins on some of these teeth, we're going to go ahead and do the two cord uh, technique here. And we're placing the double zero cord first. Just tease this underneath. This cord's pretty easy to get in. And in a patient with healthy gingiva like Greg, uh, it should go quickly. And then we go ahead and drop the margins down a little bit farther. Again, the double zero cord moves the gingiva back about a half to three quarters of a millimeter. Then we drop the uh, margin down to that new level so that when that cord is out of there, we're going to have a margin that's um, slightly subgingival, about half a millimeter subgingival. And that way we won't see where the veneer ends and the tooth starts. And that's really how we get our best aesthetic results, not only with porcelain veneers, but all ceramic crowns and, and PFMs as well. Uh, I can't tell you how many patients have complained over the years when they have a little bit of recession and you can see where the crown and the uh, tooth come together. Uh, if we have a good emergence profile on the crown, uh, it shouldn't cause any recession either. So we're going to be pretty picky about that. Once we finish the preparation, we're now placing the number two cord into place, and we're putting this around all the teeth where we prepped margins. You can put that double zero smaller cord around the no prep teeth if you want, just to clear a little extra room for your technician to be able to see exactly what's going on there at the gingival. This cord's going to stay in place for about uh, five to eight minutes minimum, and uh, while we're doing that, I'm going to go ahead and trim our putty matrix that we have with the diagnostic wax up. Again, cutting off any excess, we don't want this to extend too far into the palate or the vestibule because of the fact that when we go to try it back in the mouth, it won't be very comfortable and there will be anatomic structures that uh, interfere with us seating uh, this putty matrix all the way. Once we've trimmed off any excess, we're going to go ahead and fill the putty matrix. This is Capture Light Body, uh, a very light body material that we put inside of this, and then we're going to reseat uh, this putty wash onto the diagnostic wax up and anywhere where we had a void uh, in the putty where we might have not been able to adapt it real clearly to a certain area that will be picked up by the light body and that's going to be set down and allowed to set uh, out of the mouth it's going to take a little bit longer to set because of the lower temperature so it'll take five minutes to set we have re-moistened the number two cords and we're taking those out and we should see no bleeding as we go around here. When doing veneers, I always squirt around the facial margin first and connect all those. I want to make sure that I get that margin and then fill the rest of the tooth. I don't go around the tooth 720 degrees like we would with a veneer because there's no open contacts there. Three minutes later, we remove the impression, and this is what we should see, especially on those two anterior teeth. You can see the nice, smooth margin uh, that we've prepped with that round burr, and then the extension of the impression material beyond that margin onto the root structure, which will allow our ceramics to give us a great emergence profile and a great fitting margin. It's time to do the temporaries now. We're going to remove the putty wash matrix from the diagnostic wax up model and you can see that we've got a great level a high level of detail now from using that light body material a little bit of excess here we're just going to trim that back back to where we had already trimmed the putty matrix 
So we've got the matrix trimmed back. Now we're going to go ahead and place our bisacryl material into here. This happens to be Luxatemp. Many times we'll use the bleaching shade of Luxatemp. We fill it up completely and then we seat it into the patient's mouth. You can see we've got this little mark right in the middle here for the midline so that we're able to orient it. Otherwise, it might be a little difficult to put in. We seat it all the way on the molars and the bicuspids. We wait two minutes. We don't have any plans for removing these temps. We are locking these on. And you can see because of the clear cut we put on the wax, you can see how nice it is. There's no finishing that needs to be done at the gingival margin. We may go in and open some gingival embrasures, but we were not going to be finishing at the gingival margin. And all there was was that little bit of excess above the temporaries. We will, of course, have a little bit of flash on the lingual, and we're using a 7408 finishing burr, probably my favorite all-purpose burr for things like this. And we're using that to remove any excess on the lingual for the occlusion. Again, we're using a 30 fluted burr here, and just on a couple of the teeth where I see a tiny little bit of flash, just running it along the gingival margin, not really subgingivally, but taking it into the embrasures as well. We want to make sure that we're able to keep that nice and clear so we don't impinge on the papilla. This point, this silicone point, happens to be a one gloss from Shofu that we're using. And I find this to be very handy not only to polish the temporaries on the lingual, but as you polish the tooth, you'll get an idea if you still have bisacryl material that's left on the tooth itself. It becomes very apparent. On the lingual gingival embrasures, we'll get stuff cut there very often. And again, we'll use an explorer for the smaller pieces. Sometimes a sickle scaler is necessary. Sometimes even the backside of a scalpel blade on a curved blade like a 12 to push that out of there. But again, we have locked these into place so that they're not going to go anywhere. Typically with minimal prep veneers, they're so thin, you try to remove that uh, as it's setting and you will break it in several pieces over and over. So now we just lock those into place. We're here for the final appointment. We've used a burr just to cut a vertical cut in the temporary and then a crown remover to pop them off. And once those are all off, we will now clean up those teeth. Again, the pumice that we're using here is the Preppies from Whitmix. Very easy, much cleaner than going and getting pumice out of your uh, removable lathe from your in-office lab, which is uh, frankly disgusting. But uh, So those, those pre-measured uh, unidose pumices are fantastic once we've cleaned all that off. Again, in some areas here, we may be on dentin. We're trying to keep an eye out for that and uh, leave it on. The acid etch stays on the dentin for the 10 seconds, the enamel for 15 seconds. We always seed eight and nine first, um, so we are actually putting a little dentin bonding agent here just in case we have any dentin. little air evaporation to get rid of the volatile substances, and then we're going to go ahead and cure that once it's been air thinned. And then we're going to try the veneers on. We're now cementing the veneers into place, I should say. There's a little veneer seating instrument that somebody sent me. Um, I still use orange wood sticks. Um, I like the orange wood sticks, as you see right here, for pushing it on. I haven't broken a veneer with those. I mean, I don't lean on those things like there's uh, no tomorrow, but I just hold them down on the facial and then hold them on the incisal, and then my assistant does the tack and wave. I like the fact that I can use the side of it like this to level and make sure that the incisal edges are parallel to the patient's inner pupillary line. That looked to be about a two, two and a half second cure. I'm going to go ahead and check with the explorer and see if we're in the doughy stage. And if all goes well, this will all come off in one piece. That area right there between nine and 10 needs a little extra cure, but the rest of this will come off in one piece. And that's a nice way to do this. She'll cure again from the lingual. That will in fact cure a little bit more on the facial as well as I clean off the excess cement from the back of these teeth. This isn't so critical on the lingual because I can do that with the 7408. Here's the serrated strip from Axis Dental being used to clean between numbers eight and nine. 
all we really should have in here at this point is uh, bonding material that might be cured together for those two teeth uh, from when we place the bonding agent. As you get a little farther down into the contact in the gingival embrasure, you will hit some uh, little pieces of extra cement that's there. Once it's been cleaned up, you can go ahead and do the final cure. 20 seconds in this case with an LED light. And uh, you've seen veneers placed on before, so we're going to go ahead and place the rest of these veneers into place. These are the minimal prep veneers. There are no prep veneers on the bicuspid because we decided not to go in and prep everything. We asked the ceramist to tell us where it needed to be prepared. So this is a good final look at those uh, veneer, uh, the minimal prep veneers in place. And here's another shot from the side. You can tell from the patient's left-hand side. Again, a flatter facial profile, a better emergence profile than the no-prep veneers. Why is that? Well, we prepped a margin on these ones. The no-prep veneers, you're always going to have that speed bump on the gingival. When you prep these veneers, you really should have a much better, flatter uh, emergence profile so it looks better. So in the upper left, there he is before. There he is after the no-prep veneers in the middle that you can see. Very difficult to mask color with the no-prep veneers because the teeth show through. He felt those were a little too white, so we took the the opportunity with the minimal prep veneers to go back and tone it down just a little bit. But look for a minute at the contours, say, of tooth number eight, for example, uh, when it was a no prep, or tooth number nine when it was a no prep, versus in the minimal prep, and how those look to be, the teeth look to be more real, and how the mesial of tooth number six, we have that nice concavity on the mesial that gives some depth to that cuspid. And when you look at the no prep, uh, it just looks round and it looks kind of bulbous. And tooth number 11 is the same way if you look at that cuspid. Tooth number 10 is the same way in the minimal prep compared to the no prep. In fact, all of them are. I don't even need to list them off like that because as you look at those teeth and then look at them in the no prep, they look slightly swollen when they're in the no prep stage and they look very nice in the minimal prep stage. But to many patients, that no prep look is fine for them, you know, especially if they have multiple diastema between the teeth, a couple teeth that are too short or chipped. The instantaneous change you get with no prep veneers for them is priceless. Uh, for other people who have higher aesthetic requirements, the minimal prep's the way to go because they're a little more educated and they want the teeth to look really good. And frankly, they don't mind some anesthetic and some prepping. In fact, they expect it and uh, they have no problem with it. So this is the first time I've seen both sets of veneers done on one patient. I hope you can see the difference between the simplicity of the no preps and the very high aesthetics of the minimal preps. It's up to you and your patients to help decide whether or not, you know, which one of these particular modalities is going to work best for them. I hope this uh, case has been uh, informative for you and it will help you and your patients make an educated decision.